Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me in welcoming my guests as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening inside big healthcare. I'm really passionate about bringing healthcare topics that are not commonly discussed to Healthcare 360's best and brightest. Today's by far no exception. I'm happy to introduce a Dayton and intimacy coach who empowers people about sexuality. Welcome, LA native Jocelyn Silva, who can be found at jocelynsilva.com. That's J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-S-I-L-V-A.com. What is unique about Jocelyn is how she can easily explain what many may find to be taboo, if not for most of us, and therefore empowering us moving forward. Jocelyn and I discuss the differences between shame and guilt, how the roles of a therapist and coach complement each other, and she gives us insight into the queer community. Jocelyn explains gender identity, gives examples how to create safe spaces, which is especially important for us who are parents. We even talk about porn and orgasms. This conversation is detailed, graphic at times, and I hope you will step into our authenticity and join us and continue to bring this conversation to light. From all of us at Healthcare 360 Media, we wish you all the health, strength, and resilience. Thank you for being a part of Healthcare 360's Best and Brightest. Today, we have an atypical conversation, what most people would think of an atypical conversation, but a conversation that needs to be had more frequently. So I want to introduce everyone to Jocelyn Silver. She is an intimacy, sexual health, and wellness educator. She's been doing that for the last eight years. So she has a lot of experience, but it doesn't end there. She's actually felt this way and has been motivated in this path of her life since she's been a young girl. She had a really elegant way of portraying where we are with our own sexuality and acceptance and topic points like that. And what really resonated with me with the most was that she's just very open and honest. Uh, a little bit more about her. Uh, she's always focused on empowering people about their sexualities. She talked about shame the other day with me. In a different podcast that I had had, that other person had brought up shame. It was kind of funny how kind of the universe aligns that way. So all of a sudden I'm thinking, hey, what's this whole shame thing about? And she explained it in a way that I never heard or understood it before. And it really just brought a new light to the topic. Without further ado, Jocelyn, welcome to the show. We appreciate it. And so everyone who wants to find her on LinkedIn, uh, you can find her under Jocelyn Silva Rodriguez. Uh, We'll make sure that her link is on the podcast notes. Jocelyn, before I forget, I know you have a landing page, but where can they find you on your website? Yeah, so my website is jocelynsilva.com, J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-S-I-L-V-A.com. Is it okay to put an email address for you there as well? Yeah, my email is me at jocelynsilva.com. Jocelyn, tell us a little bit about yourself. So hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, I'm, my yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very excited to have this conversation, and I really appreciate the invitation. I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I'm of Latin descent. My mom is from El Salvador and my dad's from Mexico in a Spanish-speaking household. Went to Catholic school, candidate to 12th grade. I was in Christian leadership. I was an altar server. I was a lector. I, was, I got a religion award in high school, and I wanted to be a nun when I was 16. So I was very, very Catholic. Part of being in a very religious household, especially of Latin descent, there was a lot of shame and guilt around expressing my own sexuality. So I grew up with the message of just don't do it. Don't have sex. Sex is for marriage. But no one ever talked about like pleasure in sexuality is always just sex is this thing that you do with your husband, period. Mm -hmm. Um, Even in school, all the education around sexuality was always around. These are all the STDs that you might get best way to not get an STD is just to not have sex completely, which literally tells you nothing. I mean, might yeah. as well say, if you'd never want to get the flu, never leave your house. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> I mean which is not true, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like that notion of just don't do it. You know, just right. it's dirty. It's, it's ugly. It's sinful. Don't do it. So when I turned 18, I got together with someone. It was my first partner and finally decided that I was ready to have sex outside of marriage. And I'm very grateful and blessed that it was such a beautiful experience and literally just felt like my eyes opened up to a whole new world. And then a friend randomly asked me like, hey, do you want to be part of this collective named Coochie Los Angeles? Shout out to Coochie. Um, They're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) They're a collective of queer and trans uh, people of color that were doing some really great sex education in low-income communities. And so they were training individuals to be a part of this program. And so I signed up for it. I got into it. And that's when I decided, oh my gosh, I need to spread 
the word on sexual empowerment, just to talk about sexuality in the way that is pleasurable and great and amazing and free of shame and guilt. Also, I think it's important for me as a Latina to have this conversation because I think a lot of people that do identify like me feel a lot of guilt and shame and don't really feel like their body is theirs and don't really feel like their sexuality is theirs. It's always in the hands of a man, right? Like the way we talk about it, it's always like you gave up your virginity to him. How would you define yourself? I identify as queer and what queer means to me is that gender is not really a thing. I'm attracted to human beings, whatever the gender may be. I don't typically have monogamous relationships with partners. I guess the, another way of putting it is I guess open relationships is how I identify. That's my okay. relationship of choice. How do other people feel when you're dating other people? Really interesting topic point right there. That's a great question. So polyamory, right, or non-monogamy is defined by every person. The way that I define my non-monogamy is very different than how other people would define it. So polyamory can, and non-monogamy can take different forms. Some people have emotional relationships with various partners, Some people have like a primary, secondary partnership kind of a deal. The way that I express my non-monogamy, I don't believe that I have to engage sexually with the same person for the rest of my life. So I typically prefer to have an emotional relationship with one person, but an agreement that it's okay to engage sexually um, outside of the relationship. How people feel about that, that's something I tell people on the get-go. Like, this is who I am. This is how, how I express myself and my body and, and love and care and all of that. And if you're cool with it, then let's, let's you know, see what, where we can take this. So and is that your elevator happen, pitch? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> hi, my name is Jocelyn. I'm non-monogamous. But if you're not cool with it, then that's okay. That just means that this isn't going to work out. And I've already expressed what I want in the relationship. Typically, if you say it in the beginning, it's not like a surprise. You know, you don't want to be like a year later, like, by the way, <laughs> you know. That might be a little bit late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just also want to say that a lot of people don't know this, but in the world, there are so many people that are polyamorous. There are a lot of them are just not out. Sometimes people don't like to be out about it because of the stigma that there is in society. But there is a really, really big community of individuals that are knowledgeable of it, that are aware of it, that are open to it. I also believe that it encourages relationships and partnerships to strengthen because when you're in a partnership like this, you're kind of forced to have to over-communicate all the time and to have to be honest all the time because if you're not communicating and if you're not honest, then a true non-monogamous relationship won't work. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I was actually thinking that my brain was already going there, that you have to be very open all the time. It has to be that true bi-directional communication method that Mm -hmm. everyone knows where you're coming from. Because if not, I, I would imagine you really setting yourself up to get hurt on, yeah. on the relationship side, long term. You became a sexual wellness and intimacy coach. Mm-hmm. Why? That's a great question. It's a um, simple question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I told you this story again, and I want to share it with individuals that are listening. This was the pivotal moment in my career. And how so, long ago was that? Five years ago. Okay. So I thought I want to be a sex educator. I want to be a sex therapist. I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do. and but I was working at a store. I was managing a sexual health and wellness boutique and I loved it. I was able to just, I would always say like people think they're in, they're coming into a sex shop but little do they know they're coming into like a revolutionary sex space and it just happens to be in a retail setting. Right. So I was able to really engage with people and ask questions and, you know, talk about different things related to sexuality. So I'm bilingual. I speak Spanish and English. This woman came in and she was kind of walking around and I approached her and I said, oh, can I help you find anything? And she was a Spanish speaker. So we started speaking Spanish and she was probably like 55 to 60. She was in that range, in that age. And so we were talking and she said, oh, I have a new boyfriend and he has like a really high libido and I don't really know how to keep up with him and I'm having issues. And I said, okay, great. Let's look at some options. So I showed her some enhancement pills lubricants, some toys, you know, different things. And she was looking at this one particular cream and she said, what's this? And I said, oh, it's a clitoral arousal cream. And she's like, what is that? And I was like, so, and I started explaining, so you put a little bit on the clitoris and what it does, it enhances pleasure. It allows you, and she's like, no, 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 like what, but what is that? I was like, it's a cream. It's a cream that you, you put on the clitoris. And she's like, what's that word? You keep saying that word, what? And I looked at her and I was like, clitoris and she said yeah what is that it was just this moment where I was like I'm about to teach a woman over 50 what a clitoris is 
she was like, oh my God, I, I had no idea. Mm. I remember she left and she bought the cream. I went to the back and I just, I broke down. I started crying. I, I just, I started crying because wow. I, I could not believe that we live in a world where women, I think in general, don't know about their bodies. After that experience, I think before it was kind of like, yeah, I know I want to do this and this will be fun. But that just brought my big why, where I was like, mm -hmm. I want to be a sex coach. I've changed it from, from therapist to sex coach because I feel as a coach, I can do a lot more hands-on than I can do as a therapist. Sure. Although eventually I do want to start therapy, but that's later on once I get my license and everything. But as a sex coach, I figured out what my why is. And my why is that I want to empower women, but I think people in general to embrace their sexuality, to learn about their own bodies, their bodies that they're living in this world with, you know, mm -hmm. this one life that they have and to own it and to embrace it, to experience pleasure from it and not be shameful about it. You mentioned in some pre-podcast conversations with me that, again, that word pops up, some shame. Yeah. What did you experience in that shame feeling? What did it make you do as a person? Did it just make you close up? What were the, some of the thoughts that went through when you were feeling shame? But then how did you break out of it? What was the once kind of snap, if you will, that made you break out of, hey, I don't have to be shameful. What am I doing? I'm wasting all this time and effort when I could be exploring my body, my sexuality, and my relationships, really, when it comes down to it. So we talked about frequencies and, and synchronicity. You know, it's funny. I haven't experienced shame in a long time. And I actually experienced a little bit of shame this morning. And I think Ooh. that the universe was like, you need to feel this a little bit so you can remember what this feels like so you can explain it. Today. I knew that was an ask you. <laughs> that was so crazy. I'm not going to get into that. But feeling that recently now, I know it's like this reminder. A few things happen in my mind. The first time I had sex, beautiful experience. I'm very grateful because I know not everyone has good experiences the first time they engage sexually with another person. But the first time I had sex, at the time I was still I identified as Catholic. I don't now. I'm spiritual, but I, I don't identify as Catholic. But at the time I thought, how can this beautiful feeling be wrong? God gave me this sensation. This is part of my body. This is a gift that God gave me. Why is this dirty? Why is this wrong? And that's when I started understanding, oh, I don't have to feel bad about this. Before that experience, shame for me is this overwhelming sensation that I am bad, that what I'm doing is bad. I want to hide under a rock. I don't want anyone to see me. Shame can rob you of a lot of experiences in life. It most certainly can. It literally can destroy your spirit if you allow it to. The moment that I realized, oh my God, I have a lot of shame attached to sexuality, what really has helped me worked through the shame. And I also, I just want to make a distinction that there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something wrong and shame is I am wrong. A lot of people understand what that difference is. Um, Brene Brown talks a lot about it. I highly recommend listening to some of her lectures because she goes deeper into that distinction. Yeah. But I think a lot of people don't understand the, the difference. But shame is a very, very powerful, powerful, powerful emotion. Yeah. Even that connection between the two, between guilt and shame, what you just explained is profound, just understanding in general. Yeah. And I've never really heard anyone talk about this, but I started practicing it for me and it really worked is expressing gratitude for pleasure. And it was something I'd never done before a few years ago. Where What does that look like? So I have my daily gratitude practice, which if you don't have one, recommend everyone get one. Gratitude practices, even just writing three things you're grateful about every single day is incredible. It does wonders to your mindset and to your life. But for me, after experiencing pleasure, Something in my head that I say to myself, I'm so grateful that I was able to experience that. I'm so grateful that I have the ability to feel this. I've never heard that before. That's really cool. <laughs> I'm yeah. tell my wife, Michelle, I am grateful, honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you know, you say, Oh, I'm grateful for my clean drinking water, I'm grateful for food, I'm grateful for a shelter, I'm grateful for this life, for waking up this morning. But what if you express gratitude for your body, right? I'm grateful right. that my body has the ability to have an orgasm. I'm grateful that I'm able to share my body with another person. I'm grateful that I'm able to be naked with myself. That's a whole nother experience when you start that practice. Right. What's been your best example of a client where you've helped them break free from either shame or I really identify themselves in their sexuality 
both on the male and the female side. I don't mean to categorize them because I know we had a big conversation when we first started the podcast yeah. and, <laughs> and non-categorization. Let's just start there for now and then we'll, we'll break it open. I have two. Can I share two? Of course. Yeah. Okay. The first one I want to talk about is when I worked at the sexual health and wellness boutique. People would come in at that time. They were customers because they were shopping at the store, but I would help them out. There was this transgender woman. She was probably like 18. She was very young. She came in and the first time she came in, her body was clenched up, petrified to be in there. So I started talking to her and I said like, Hey, like, what's your name? And, you know, just started kind of opening up and she started talking about the fact that she's dating someone and she wants to buy lingerie and she feels kind of nervous. And so I was able to kind of walk her through the whole process. And I was like, what's your favorite color? And, you know, she was like, Oh, I like pink. So I, you know, I said, why don't you just go in the fitting room, tell me your size and I'll just bring you some stuff. We had kind of like a little fashion show and she was kind of, you know, showing off her lingerie and it was a lot of fun. And she didn't buy anything that day, which is fine because that wasn't my purpose. My purpose is just to create a safe space for individuals. And she left and it was like this beautiful experience. After that, she would come in maybe like once every two weeks and then it started happening once a week. And then she started actually buying things for herself, which is a huge step for her to buy herself a piece of lingerie. And then she bought herself a toy you know, little things here and there. After a few months, she went from don't talk to me to hello, how is everybody? How are you? I'm here to get myself another toy. I mean, it was like, who are you? It was so cool to see her step into her authenticity and to see her literally, I can see the shame melting off of her And this beautiful, radiant, confident, sexy woman coming out of her. Did she talk about what was happening with the partner and how they accepted her and what was different there as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Her parents didn't acknowledge her identity. She still had to live with her parents, unfortunately, but her parents dead named her all the time. Dead named means when you call a transgender person their birth name, it's very offensive and it's very triggering to transgender individuals called her the wrong pronouns. It was just, she said it was a very awful home life for her. She had a long distance relationship with someone who accepted her and loved her. And I think that a lot of what she was experiencing at home played a role into why she felt the way she did. And after a while, she did say, she's like, this store is my safe haven. Because sometimes she would just come in and hang out for like an hour and just talk. And then the second experience I had was actually in my now coaching. It has been an incredible experience. Uh, he's older. I think he's over 50 and was talking about his sexuality in a way that he's never expressed to anybody before. He was dealing with some shame around the fact that he is bisexual. And the first time he spoke to me, literally couldn't get words out. So embarrassed, so shameful. After I think about four sessions, I started hearing how the words started rolling off his tongue. And I can also hear a smile on his face. Because there's a difference between talking and there's a difference between like when you're smiling and talking, you can hear that smile. That's really cool. It was just so beautiful to be able to see. And it's not to say that the shame and the embarrassment isn't completely gone, but that is the process, right? And and Brené Brown actually talks about that, that the antidote to shame is talking about it. Mm -hmm. Speaking your shame kills shame. Um, He's still one of my clients and I'm very grateful for the work that he's done on himself. It's just beautiful to see how people can transform from just complete and utter fear and go to acceptance and loving and enjoying and having fun. That's really cool. That's actually amazing that you actually saw someone in a transformative state come right out and one, just congratulations to you that they came out and they started talking to you openly about that uh, accomplishment right there. They found themselves more confident in their own skin at the same time, which is nice. What's a typical day look like in the office for you? They may come in with shame. They may come in shy. Mm -hmm. What what are some of the things you start to break down right away to get them more comfortable so they can start to express, whether it's a healing process or the opening process? Yeah, it's a great question. Honestly, it's, it's very, very simple. The first thing when I speak to someone, I say, how can I help you? Why do you want to work with me? What's going on? So people will start expressing the things that they're fearful of, or they want to work on, they want to improve on the issues that they've been having. 
Creating a safe space is not difficult. The best way to be able to create a safe space with someone, especially when they come from a place of fear, anxiety, embarrassment, and shame, is to normalize everything that they're saying. Oh, I went to the grocery store today. You're going to be like, oh, cool. Right. What'd you get? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But if I say, I really am curious about having a threesome, and you respond with, are you kidding me? Really? Automatically, you've killed that safe space. But if you respond with, cool, why? Tell me more about that. What, what excites you about it? And you just normalize it and you prod and, and you ask questions and you want to know more about it and you're curious what excites you, what's fun about it. That is what builds confidence when I work with my clients. Is, I, I feel is, like you just answered the number one question of how parents can create an unsafe space mm-hmm. by not being open mm-hmm. and it just blocks out that curiosity. Absolutely. Right. And also, you don't even have to say anything. Hmm. It can be in your facial expressions. These facial expressions say a million words. Yeah, they do. I remember one time where my first, what I wanted to do was this, and I was able to like get it together at the (laughs) store. Again, uh, this woman came in and it's, it's so interesting to me how people have different levels of what they think is like crazy and not crazy, like totally off, like abnormal and what is not. Some people will come in and so embarrassed be like, I'm looking for flavor of lube, you know? <laughs> and other people are like a different level. And this woman came in and she said, I have this fantasy where I go out to dinner with my husband and I excuse myself from the table and I go to the bathroom and I use a sex toy and have an orgasm. And then I come back to the table and pretend like nothing happened. So I needed a really quiet vibrator to be able to do that. I was so fascinated. I was like, you know, and I remember I was able to get it together and I was like, oh, that sounds wonderful. Great. Let me show you what toy, like, let's look at the toys. Let's see what we can do for you. Right. (laughs) And it really is just having that awareness of how can I create the safe space for you? And even though I might think, oh, that's interesting. That's, I've never heard that before, but I'm not going to show that to you because what the moment I do, I'm breaking that safe space where Mm -hmm. now you're not going to open up to me because you don't feel safe with me. Here's the big question. Why can so many women not have an orgasm? Boom, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to throw this out there because I think it's, I'm very passionate about this. I don't like to make generalizations with gender. I know a lot of individuals here, why do women this and why do men that? Gender sexuality is much more complex than people believe. Not all women have vaginas, not all men have penises. But I think that at the core of why people in general, yes, it's true that the way that women are conditioned in this society make it difficult for them to explore their sexuality. But I think that the core of why individuals have a hard time experiencing an orgasm is down to not taking the time to get to know their bodies. Again, when I was explaining what a clitoris was to that woman, it can be the same for anybody who has a penis, a vagina, anybody. If you don't take the time to get to know your own body, then you're never going to know your body, right? What about the experience with the relationship? Does that have a factor at all? Yes, there's one night stands and you don't have that relationship, but I mean, you're interacting to a certain degree. So does that have anything Mm -hmm. to do with it at all or no? Okay, let me me take a step back because now a bunch of thoughts are flooding into my mind. Sure. There's a lot of factors that can play into it. So if someone is in a relationship with another person and they're not able to experience orgasm, it could be anxiety. It could be that maybe they're having issues in that relationship outside of the bedroom. It could be shame, right? Shame because you're having sex can definitely put a mental block. I think, I'm not sure if I spoke about this with you, but I heard this the other day and I really appreciated it. Tension causes resistance and relaxation Mm. allows for acceptance. Right. If you're feeling shameful, anxious, nervous, angry, obviously you're going to tense up and you're going to be impatient and you're not going to allow yourself to enjoy the pleasure that you're feeling. But if you're relaxed and you're enjoying, then you're able to experience that pleasure in a way that you're able to like accept it. I also think that being able to give yourself an orgasm and knowing how to give yourself an orgasm is a really great way for you to build connection with another person where you can, one of the things I recommend to individuals is mutual masturbation. So masturbating in front of the person you're engaging with so that they can see how you like to touch yourself and that way they can emulate that touch. But that's a really great learning opportunity for a partnership. What is it that you like? 
that way I can I know how to engage with you. I can but see again, somewhere like that where someone may be afraid to actually verbally speak it, mm-hmm. but you're not afraid to act on it. And that would actually right. help. It's, it's kind of like the same language in a bit. On the other side of that, okay, there's also like the faking of the orgasms and everything else. Like, how do you deal with that? Remember, I was talking about how uh, society talks about women's sexuality being in the hands of a man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect example. Uh, sex isn't for me. Sex is to please my partner. Right now we're talking about heterosexual partnerships, right? Right, right. Sex is not for me to enjoy. I am giving this to my partner because my man has needs and I need to fulfill those needs. And so I'm going to make him feel good by pretending that I'm having an orgasm, even though I'm really not enjoying what's happening. It almost gives the permission for the man to enjoy the sex Mm -hmm. and for me to give him, I'm, I'm giving you my sex, right? This is yours. Here you go. What I'm really concerned about and what I am passionate about is being able to teach women, you don't have to fake it. It could be real, (laughs) you know, and you don't have to appease your partner. You can be authentic. And again, also that has to do with creating a safe space in that partnership. I had a professor who, I mean, this was 10 years ago, but man, she said this and it got ingrained in my head and I loved her so much. She looked at us and she said, if you can't talk about sex with the person you're having sex with, then you shouldn't be having sex with them. <laughs> and, like, really into my head. I'm like, that's that. Yeah. Hello. Right. Right. So I would say if women do feel the need to have to fake an orgasm, learn how to give yourself an orgasm and teach your partner how to give you that orgasm, mm-hmm. you know? And if you don't feel like having an orgasm, Tell your partner, hey, hon, like, I'm, I'm not, like, I'm enjoying this, but I don't think I'm going to come. And, like, that's cool. Sex doesn't always have to be to get to that finish line. It can literally just be, like, let's enjoy our naked bodies together. And if we come, wonderful. If we don't, then that's okay. That's a different approach. You don't really hear that either. That's pretty unique. Yeah, and it all comes down to just doing the work to heal from sexual trauma right? A lot of us have trauma around expressing sexuality to speak of the shame that comes up when one is engaging with another person, to be able to learn how to embrace our sexualities in a way that we have a healthy relationship with our bodies and are able to have an orgasm and feel great about it and then teach the people that we're engaging with how to give us that orgasm. I want to go back to something that you said just a few minutes ago. And I don't know if you can go into the science of it or not and don't feel like you have to by any means, but not all men and women have the proper anatomy. You explained it better than I did. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Right. There's a difference between gender and sex. Okay. So sex is male and female, right? That has to do with our chromosomes. That has to do with what was in between our legs when we were born, male, female. Gender, however, is how we choose to express ourselves to the outside world and the expectations that society has placed on the sex. So for example, I was born female, which means my gender is woman. Me, Jocelyn, I align my sex with my gender. I feel comfortable in that, therefore I identify as cisgender. However, when I say that there are women that don't have vaginas and men that don't have penises, I mean that for the transgender community specifically, When your gender is a man, right, and you are a trans person and you, like you said, you're not born with that penis, whenever you're having this conversation around, oh, women this and men that, you're excluding this whole group of individuals that don't fall into that sex gender ideology. Another reason why I'm so big on understanding your body and being able to know how to give yourself pleasure because if you are a trans person engaging with another person, you want to make sure that you're being gender affirming, right? So this is the way that I like my privacy to be uh, referred to as, this is how I like it to be treated so that it is in alignment with the person's gender identity. I see that. I'm trying to think where to go from there. I hope that that made sense. (laughs) No, it does. It does. To be honest, I don't want to say I sit here and understand all that. You, frankly, have conditioned a lot of this to me as we started going through. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I wanted to bring it up into the podcast, because I've heard and seen a lot of topics around it. And I'm like, what is that? We dig deep. Like I normally do, I'm looking for people who know how to explain it well and articulate it well. So people actually have a good, comfortable feeling by the time we're done with the conversation. 
And I think that it's important because we're living in a day and age now where, yes, the, the LGBTQ community is still a marginalized community, but there's more access to gender affirming surgery. There's more access to gender affirming therapy a little more acceptance in society for that community. So what I'm concerned with is, great, you have transitioned or you're in transition or you are expressing yourself in the gender that you feel comfortable with. Now, how can we get you to experience sexuality in a way that feels great for you in the body that you're in? Taking it to the next level. Right. That is an issue that a lot of people in the queer community deal with. How much of this has to do with their parents or just their family members? And you suggest to them, they go back and have a conversation with them and face that fear. I'm sure it could be fearful. I don't know if it's fearful. Are you encouraging them to say, hey, look, you need to have an open conversation with them? I can imagine that not a lot of people are open to that. They're closed-minded. Are you talking about in terms of coming out? Well, more about after coming out. It's more about, hey, you need to get over yourself and you need to accept me for me. First and foremost, I would say it is up to everyone whenever they're ready to be able to express that to their family. It's not fair to tell someone, hey, you need to come out now. (laughs) You know, everyone will do it in their time. There are individuals that come out when they're 10. There's some that come out when they're 60, right? It really just depends on whenever the person's ready. As, As a person who identifies as queer, it's not my responsibility to force my family and my friends to accept me. I, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say force, mm-hmm. but to get them recognize you and see you for who mm-hmm. you are, be seen, felt, and heard. But that's true for everybody. Mm-hmm. So when those conversations need to happen, that they're seen, felt, and heard as mm-hmm. themselves in their individual body, what does that look like? There could be a lot of hesitation there because not everyone accepts that. I'll talk about my personal story. So my brother is gay. A couple years ago. My mom found out that my brother was gay a very, very long time ago, and it was kind of like this thing that was ignored. And a couple years ago, when I started dating my partner, I think that my mom kind of had a suspicion, was like, okay, when things started to become serious with my partner, I said, okay, I need, I need to tell my mom, this friend is not actually my friend, you know, they're, they're my partner. So I sat her down, and we talked about it, and I told her, and she said, I know I've been going to therapy for the past six months because I had a feeling about it. I love you and I accept you. And what that experience taught me is that I think it's, it's not fair to like, I I know what you're saying about the whole, like get over yourself and, and, you know, just accept, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair to push someone out of their comfort zone right away. The best way to go about those conversations is to one, do your research right? Google information, talk to people to definitely go to therapy, talk to a therapist who can explain to you, like, what does it mean to be queer? What does it mean to be trans? What does it, what do these things mean? And then three, once that child is ready to come out to you, you have now the tools to create a safe space to accept whatever that child is going to tell you. Right. Because It's all about our inner work, right? Breaking through our own shame around sexuality. How do I feel about that community, right? And I know that a lot of the things that parents talk about is the sadness because, oh, I don't want my child to have a difficult life and I don't want my child to suffer. And that's understandable. But the best way to aid that person, to aid that child in that process is to offer them a safe space. Then when the world does reject or ridicule, right, as society tends to do, you know that they're able to come into your arms and that they will be safe in your arms. Right. And that further also teaches them, oh, there are people in this world that will love me and accept me how I am. That's powerful. Because if you don't have that at home and then you don't have that out in the world, if you're a child, you're like, oh my God, you know, who am I? Why do I even belong in this world? Right. But if you're able to teach them, like, I love you the way you are, and others will too, it really allows for that openness and that safe space. But I think it's important for the person themselves to do that work first. The reason why I'm asking all these questions is because mm-hmm. I'm sure there are parents out there who need to see an example of tolerance and acceptance yeah. Yeah. and knowing how to... I don't want to say this in the, not the correct context, but guide into that comfortable feeling of, hey, this is who I am. 
And so they're accepting so they can get more information out so there's that better, tighter relationship long-term. If this is more about tolerance and more about mm-hmm. acceptance, embrace someone with open arms. Yeah. And again, this particular topic, I don't know many people who are having it. Yeah. Which is exactly why I was like, on the show, let's go right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about different sexual explorations? If you look at the numbers, pornography has tripled and quadruples as far as its bottom line revenue mm-hmm. year after year for the last decade. So I, I did a little research before and I'm like, oh my, the numbers are staggering. What I don't particularly like, this is more about parents, not about the sex industry itself, but there's 11-year-old, 12-year-old kids getting access to pornography. Talk about that real quick and specifically how parents can help mitigate that risk, uh, if you know any answers to that, or at least the conversations they had. The one thing that I saw that that was extremely powerful Mm -hmm. was an adult film actress. This is on primetime TV. It was a commercial. It was an ad. She said, look, you better have a conversation with your children about sex or I will. It just stuck with me. I was like, it's probably one of the best commercials I've ever seen. And all she was doing was sitting on a chair. And she said, this is what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? Are you going to beat me to the punch? They identified the issue. So what can parents do? You know, what I love about that commercial too is the fact that it's not putting down pornography. It's just saying pornography exists. Right. Children are getting curious about it you got to put some limits and boundaries and you got to be okay with having this conversation. You know, I wish, and I'm not sure if this is a thing. I I thought about this. It would be really cool if cell phone companies had like a child lock that they can put. And and hopefully I think they probably in the future will come out with this. I'll I'll tell you what we do. We put the apps on our phones for our kids and I don't want to give the answer. I want to, what I I guess I was asking a little bit more is what can parents do from that conversation? Oh, okay, cool. You know, more like that, because uh, I'll tell you about the apps. The apps that we put in our kids' phones, we put two on. It's called MM Guardian mm-hmm. and Bark. MM oh. Guardian identifies what's going on in their text world, in their mm-hmm. copy. So if someone's bullying them or something's being said, you can actually identify keywords. So if something comes up, bully or crying or sex, boom, you get the instant notification on your phone. And then bark, it literally barks at you when someone looks at something inappropriate. Yeah, so we put both of those in their phone. So I know from a mobile standpoint, not every kid has those programs on their phone or their applications. So all they need to do is say, hey, look at this, lean over. Then all of a sudden they're seeing something that you've worked so hard to try to protect them from, right? Right. Before I talk about that, I just quickly want to say that with all media, even though we don't really think about this, all media is biased. Everything on TV, right, from, what is it, like Democracy Now to Fox 11, right, to news stations, but they're biased, right? They have their own ideologies. Pornography is biased. I mean, usually what we see, like the dismembered men, and we only see like the penis, but then we see like the woman, and then the video always ends when the man is climaxing, which I never understood that because like sex does not end when a man climaxes. <laughs> and so I think the first thing is to acknowledge the sex that pornography is biased. Even though we're thinking, oh, okay, yeah, they're 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 looking at pornography, they're gonna quote unquote learn. You're not really learning because that's not real sex. You're right. you're seeing this over commodification of women's bodies mm-hmm. and over commodification of the penis, right? That's one thing that I want to say. The second thing, it all goes back to just creating a safe and open space to talk about sex with your child. Mm-hmm. And asking questions is the best way to be able to experience this. I know that it's really easy to get into like this lecture mode with your child because it's your child. But what I would recommend is asking open-ended questions. So do you have a crush on anyone? Do you? Do My wife you, does that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. you have a crush on anyone? kids at school talk about sex. How do you feel about it? Is that something you're curious about? What are your thoughts on sex? Do you have any questions for me, right? Like having open-ended conversations where you're allowing an engagement is really awesome because then it allows the child to lead the conversation. I mean, because you might start talking about something and they're like, oh my God, that's not what's happening, right? 
Or you can be like, hey, like, how do you feel about sex? And they could be like, well, actually, I have a crush on this person. And, mm-hmm. you know, they told me they want to kiss me. And now you're having a conversation. Oh, how do you feel about that? Okay, well, do you think you're going to do it? You know, and even just having that space, it teaches the child, oh, I can talk about this with my parent and I can ask questions and it's safe. Talking about sex in a physical form should start as early as age three. Really? What is the name of your body parts? That's important. You have a vagina, you have a penis, the actual name. Some people don't agree with this. I'm actually a very big advocate for it because what you're doing is giving children the tools to express themselves. And also the more knowledge that you give a child, the more able they are to speak when something is happening that they don't want to happen. Mm. So if you're teaching them, this is your privacy. That's interesting. Three years old, they're able to say, this is my privacy. This is mine. And I explore this privacy alone. You're You're mitigating a huge amount of risk doing that too. It's so funny. My, my goddaughter, she is three years old right now, actually. And it's super cool that I'm able, you know, to kind of practice with her. And she was so cute because she's pulling like full sentences together. And the other day, you know, because when she was little, I would be in the bathroom with her when she was peeing. It wasn't like a big deal. Right. And so, like I was like doing my makeup in the bathroom. And then she goes, she calls me Nini. Yeah. She's like, Nini, I have to pee. And I said, okay, go ahead. And then she goes, I need privacy. And I said, oh, okay, no worries. <laughs> and then I said, let me know when you're done. And she's like, I'm done. And you know, I open the door. But oh my God, I'm like tearing up thinking about that because she felt empowered mm-hmm. giving children the tools to empower themselves already to establish boundaries. And when a child doesn't know what is in between my legs, what is this that I'm feeling, you know, it, it causes confusion. Sure. And to know this is what this is, this is what that is. Even having that conversation about menstruation. A lot of girls, menstruation happens and they're petrified. They don't know what's happening. Right, yeah. Okay, like this is what's going to happen and this is how it's going to feel and this is completely normal, right? Again, you're empowering the child. My mom tells me this. I don't remember this. When I was seven, she had that talk with me. Hey, you're growing up and this is this thing that's going to happen. She said that I went to the store and I grabbed a box of pads And she looked at it and she said, what is this? And I said, I'm preparing myself. (laughs) (laughs) Then I said, I'm preparing myself. And I was like, oh, I don't remember that. Again, empowering the child. Very, very important. Um, A book that I would recommend for parents, for their children um, to kind of get some tools to talk about sex. It's called It's Perfectly Normal by Robbie H. Harris and Michael Emberley. And what's the topic points uh, overall about it? They talk about everything pubic hair and menstruation and bodies and all bodies are different. Um, Obviously, I would recommend for parents to read it first. It actually also talks about how a person's body will change. So I'm pretty sure it's this book that shows you like, okay, at three years old, this is what you should show your child. At five years old, this is what you should show your child. And they even have pictures of different bodies. So it's kind of cool. It kind of allows for parents to also feel empowered to have those conversations. If someone has a roadblock mm-hmm. in their head about their identity or just their understanding of their body, like what are some of the things that you do that you in your practice that help them get past that roadblock so they can basically move on to the next step? Mm, that's a great question. It really comes down to this, just creating that safe space and asking open-ended questions. When I work with my clients, I ask them a question. What's going on? They'll start talking. Tell me more about that. Why is that? Why do you feel that way? A lot of whys in there. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Tell me more. Tell me more. I want to know more. Because when we have that roadblock, Mm -hmm. we get to, so maybe like our thought process is, oh, I really like this. Oh, but that's shameful. Oh, I really like this. Oh, but I feel bad about it. Right. But if we keep asking those questions, why do you like that? Oh, because of this and that. And how does that make you feel? Oh, it makes me feel really great. And why does it make you feel great? Oh, because I have done it in the past and I really enjoyed it. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Asking those questions, which is what I do with my clients, allows them to just let their thoughts go wild and be able to talk about things that they've always felt so scared to talk about. Right. To normalize it. I think that the key word there is to normalize it for them. Mm -hmm. On average, how long did it take for a client to kind of go through what they need to achieve. Mm. Because some people may sit there and go, well, you know, I only have a week, I only have two weeks. 
You know, it's interesting. It doesn't have anything to do with time. Mm -hmm. Like the best way that I can describe it. It's like when you go to the gym and you have a workout in your head and you're okay, I'm going to do leg curls and biceps and triceps and whatever. When you're alone at the gym, you might, you know, be doing this and this. And if you go to a gym and you got a personal trainer, you're pumping it, you know, they're yelling yeah, 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 yeah. you on, you're, you know, you're working out twice as hard right. because someone is there pushing you. Sometimes people just need that push. Sometimes people just need me to say, your homework is to do this. And I'm what would be, be an example of a homework assignment? So I'll give you one example. One of the clients I had, she had a lot of shame around masturbation. Okay. She always felt really awkward when she did it. So my homework for her was, I want you to take a shower. And after you shower, lay in bed naked for 10 minutes. That's it. So she did it. And the next time we talked about it, she was so shocked at how difficult that was for her, but how empowering it felt to just be by herself without any clothes on, be in her naked body. And then the next step, okay, now I want you to explore your body this week. And then the next step, okay, now I want you to try something different and tell me three things that you enjoyed about it. And so there's that gratitude that you talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So little yeah. by little, she was breaking down it was really cool because then she was like, oh my God, it felt so great. And it was so much fun. And I was able to try this and that. And I even like bought myself a sexy outfit and I was just home <laughs> alone doing it, you know? And then sometimes people just need that push. This is what you're going to do. And, and I'm here with you and we're doing this together. You're not alone. That's really helpful. Any obstructions or things that are really difficult to overcome and what you've seen so far and the people that you've worked with? Yes. The biggest thing that is difficult to overcome is how people see the world. That will literally break down all of your progress. Right. If you think the world is scary, if you think the world is violent and horrible, evil, it is very, very, very difficult to break down that shame, that guilt, that fear, and that anxiety that people feel around sexuality. I think that's the hardest one. A lot of people's experiences have been that the world is scary and the world is evil and the world would not love me. And I'm, you know, I, this is just a horrible place to be in. I would So would you refer out at that point to a psychotherapist or if you're finding that someone's in an anxious or depressed state of mind? I would actually always, I recommend to my clients that they work with me in conjunction with a therapist. Therapy and coaching are, are different. So therapy is what happened in your past and let's heal from that. And coaching is what's happening in your life right now that you want to accomplish. And we're going to break through that fear and we're going to make it happen. Okay. So having the two is wonderful. Like me, I always have a therapist and a coach at all times. My therapy, I deal with childhood stuff and my coaching. I deal with present day fears and it's just a beautiful marriage. So yeah, that, that's really important to have that piece. Childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are the steps? Now, I know you just said you, you always have two pair. You have a coach and you have a therapist working in tandem together. Yeah. What's your approach to that? How do you engage with that person? That's a big one because some of it could be very traumatic. Yeah. Some of it could be just subconscious and they've kind of put it in a dark, dark spot, which is causing some other issues that are going on. So how do you approach that? I approach that very, very carefully. Oftentimes when people have experienced childhood trauma, they don't ever talk about it because when you speak your trauma, you tend to relive that trauma. That's always difficult to do. Sure. The really horrible part about that though, is that in order to heal from trauma, you have to speak about it. Right. It's kind of like that double-edged sword, right? Yeah. And so with my clients, if they have gone through childhood trauma, I usually allow them to talk just what happened, what's going on for you. And also give them tools because I, it's really easy in these sessions to open up a can of worms and then for clients to not know how to close it. Once the hour is done, they've just opened up a, a, a can of worms of shame and anxiety and, and reliving this horrible thing that happened to them. After the end of the session, what I tell my clients is, thank you for your vulnerability, for opening up about this. What are you going to do today to take care of yourself? And I have them tell me one thing that they're going to do specifically, whether it be take a bath, go for a walk, cry for 10 minutes, and then take a shower or whatever it may be, whatever self-care looks like for them. But that's very, very important. 
always know that when you're going to enter these therapeutic coaching spaces, especially when you're talking about something so difficult, Mm -hmm. it's always nice to cap it with a self-care practice. Yeah, I can see that. And some of the things I've looked up, there are some coaches, I don't want to say participate. I think that's the wrong word. They're teaching at the same time. So you are teaching coach as well. Because you mentioned a little bit earlier, go the hands-on, but I didn't want to jump into it just then. What is that like for someone if, if you are? Are they comfortable? Are they not comfortable? How do you get them comfortable? Like what is going on there? Because I can actually see some people just being so uncomfortable with themselves and you have a coach trying to like guide them and teach them and so when I said hands-on, I meant like the homework that I was talking about. I was giving them tangible things to do, letting them know that they're not alone, that I'm here guiding them, and I'm, I'm here on this journey with them. Um, I'm super excited that you said that because in a few months, I'm actually going to be certified as a surrogate partner, something that I've been wanting to do for a very long time, and to do surrogate partner therapy. Um, I'm not there yet. But what I do know about touch therapy is that it is a way to be able to literally physically um, engage with the person, allow them to experience another person's body for themselves, to be able to break down that anxiety. Because a lot of people, what they have is just anxiety around being too close to someone. Even just being in a physical space where you're too close to another person causes people a lot, a lot of anxiety, especially if you've had trauma or if you've been assaulted in the past or whatever, right? Touch therapy is really beautiful for that. It happens at the client's pace. It is a profession that is very, very taboo. I truly believe that there is so much healing that happens through that practice. And I am so excited to get certified and do this work. Because I know that it's just going to take the healing that my clients will go through to the next level. How many of the people that you're working with have had a traumatic childhood experience sexually? All of them. All of them. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the root cause of all this. It depends on what it is. Sometimes it's right out assault. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes the childhood trauma can just be, I was bullied in school for being a little feminine. or Really? I was taught at a young age that sex is dirty. Even that in itself is traumatic. I have yet to have a client who was like, sex is cool growing up. You know, <laughs> it, it's all usually stems from childhood. Right. Okay. So I have three final questions for you. All right. You mentioned one of them. First one is, what are you reading right now? So how do you continue your personal education? What would you recommend? Awesome. It's kind of funny. So there's this book that I call the sex Bible. I've been stuck on this book for like the past two years and it's called the ultimate guide to getting it on. It talks about literally anything related to sex and sexuality. And I love the way that it discusses it because it talks about it in a way that's educational, mm-hmm. talks about it in a way that's fun. And it goes through topics that you wouldn't even think about. It's a wonderful book. So whenever a client has a question about something, I always look at that book. It's like literally like an encyclopedia. I'm always able to get some really great information. So that is always my go-to. I would highly recommend that book for individuals that are wanting to learn more about sex. What are some of the podcasts that you listen to on the fly? So if you don't have time to sit down and read a book, what do you listen to on the go? Most of the podcasts I listen to are about spirituality or storytelling, Mm -hmm. but I do want to recommend one that is sexuality related. Okay, so Shan Booty, Sex and Love. Okay. She is awesome. She, uh, just to read a little blurb, she gives unfiltered sex advice, recommends the perfect song, and gives everyone homework every day. And she's wonderful. Last question. And this is, this is the toughest one. You have the final word. So what would you like to leave everyone on? I love that. A few months ago, my mom almost died of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. She got rushed to the hospital and it was the first time that I thought that I was going to lose someone very close to me. I thought that I was going to lose my mom. And that experience just really drilled into my head that we only have one life to live, that we're only on this world for so long. If you're out there and you have some things related to your body and sexuality that make you feel ashamed that make you feel anxious, that make you feel guilty, now is the time to work on the healing process. There are people in this world that want to help you. There is a community that will welcome you with open arms. 
you are worthy of experiencing pleasure and enjoying it, I would just say be patient, be gentle, and be kind to yourself. This process is not going to work if you're not compassionate towards yourself. So I can actually see the passion in your eyes when you're actually saying that. And I, I think it also extends past our topic point as well, just in general with any kind of tolerance and acceptance and et cetera. So that's yeah. great. That's great. Thank you so yeah. much for this opportunity, Scott. I had a lot of fun and um, I appreciate it. And I also just want to wish you the best on your, I want, I call it like a spiritual journey because I know sure. you're learning about frequency and all of that. And if you ever have questions, let me know. You know, I'll tell you this. So, it was really, I had an amazing day yesterday because my wife, Michelle, I sent her to the same, same person. Mm-hmm. So my first experience was just like, boom, mind blowing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I need to go back. But before I said, you need to see my wife first. So I made sure that Michelle got to go see him and she had a good experience, but I could tell that she didn't have the experience that I had. I could see the block. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at her and I'm like, it's still there. I can see the, just the roadmap of just being, I want to say critical. It's not a good word, but being kind of closed up, curious, but not open, wondering, but at a distance, mm-hmm. right? Yesterday, she was with him for just about two hours when she called me to kind of tell me what was going on. She was crying. She's like, thank you so much. Uh, she had some back pain. It's gone. Uh, she's like, I feel like I can walk again and do all these different things. Uh, I just have so much energy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Her spirits were just incredibly high. And just inside, I was, I didn't want to say anything. I was like, Oh my God, thanks so much. And she said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. She didn't need to say thank you, but that's what she was uh, talking about. I, I went to, I was, I was going in and out of accounts at, uh, for work. And on my way back out, I forgot that after about two, two and a half hours, boom, <laughs> you crash hard. You crash really, really hard because neurologically, it's called uh, temporary global weakness, where mm. your body is just connecting and sinking, and it takes a lot of energy to do that, and then you come down on it. I was like, ha. so I started laughing to myself. I was like, oh man, she's gonna crash hard. <laughs> but I was so happy that it happened. So she actually had that block removed. She saw things. She's open to it. It was amazing to see that. I'm getting excited listening to you because I'm, I'm reading a book right now that a friend recommended called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Have you read it? No. So cool. And he talks about, we navigate this world through four different zones. So mm-hmm. the zone of incompetence, mm-hmm. the zone of competence, the zone of excellence, and the zone of genius. Okay. He was talking about how a client was in the zone of incompetence. He said that this woman, she just had like crazy body pain and she was talking about this job and, you know, he was like, well, do you like your job? And she was like, no, I hate my job, but you know, it pays me good money and I've been there for a long time. And he was like, well, what do you want to do? She's like, I've always had this dream to start this business. And it was like some agriculture business or something. And he was like, you need to do it now. And she's like, you're crazy. I can't do that. So she thought about it, decided to quit her job and put all her energy into the business, body aches went away because she went from the zone of incompetence to the zone of genius. And essentially what he says, which is what I'm sure your wife experienced is it's so simple yet so difficult. All you're doing is stepping into your authenticity. Yes. Who are you? Okay. Step into that. That's who you are. Get in it. Don't be afraid. That's what you are. Jump right in. The moment you jump right in, it's like the aches and pains and everything just everything just starts flowing. Synchronicities start to pop up, high frequency, you start to meet people in different levels because it's that roadblocks, like you say, you just strip them away so that you're able to live your full potential. It's really right. beautiful. Jocelyn, thank you so much. I really do appreciate all your time putting into this. Absolutely. Cool. Again, we'll leave, I'm going to give you uh, the chance to say website again, Jocelyn, but we'll leave Jocelyn's LinkedIn profile, her email address, all the links to the books and the podcast and all the resources that she provided us today. I hope someone learned from this podcast from a parental standpoint, from a personal standpoint. If you do have shame, you lose it and that you lose it quickly without even looking back. Jocelyn, it was amazing to have you on. The topic point needs to be discussed more. I liked your approach on so many different levels. It really was amazing. Where can they find you on your landing page? I know you're developing a website again, but where can they find you there? So my uh, landing page is jocelynsilva.com. 
And if you'd like to email me directly, my email is me at jocelynsilva.com. Cool. Uh, this is uh, Scott Burgess. I am your host for Healthcare 360. Thank you for joining as always. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Thanks, Scott. That was cool. Thank you so much for doing that. It was pretty easy, huh? So much fun. Yeah. Oh, man. I really, I, I honestly just felt like I was hanging out with someone. Thank you for listening to Healthcare 360 episode number 28 with dating and intimacy coach Jocelyn Silva. I appreciate her time and effort in teaching us, and I hope this conversation keeps going as it is a much needed conversation to have with so many. Again, you can find Jocelyn at jocelynsilva.com. That's J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-S-I-L-V-A.com. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoyed the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Twitter at HT360Podcast or Healthcare360Podcast.com. If you'd like to have a conversation or discuss a topic option on Healthcare360, please look for the calendar link in the podcast notes below and let's set up a time to talk. I hope this conversation empowers and educates the HT360 Nation's best and brightest, and I look forward to building our relationship. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess, and from all of us with the Healthcare360 team, stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.